know that you're just around the corner. Waiting at the store for me to take you home. Pour you out and have you to myself. And I know that you won't run hot on me. Coming up on Verse Course Verse. Uh, <laughs> Oh. Yeah, that's next. Like to write a thank you letter to those who helped make you. Find out why it is you make everything seem so right. Welcome to episode 129 of First Course First IMDL. How is everybody doing? Hope you're well. I, I'm doing good. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. What can you say when you are about to talk to one of your favorite songwriters of all time? And that is not editorialism. That is true. Truer words could not be spoken. Last year, I was able to do an interview with the amazing John Bates, who's been a favorite artist of mine for the last decade. The man that I get to speak to tonight in Brad Roberts is one of my favorite songwriters. He has been the soundtrack to a lot of my life. From being a little kid in the 90s, growing up with hearing obviously the song and loving it my uncle buying the album and playing it i don't remember if it was at his house first or on you know in his truck on the way up camping or something anyway all i knew was that that entire album just i just fell in love with it and i've never fallen out of love with it the album i'm referring to is of course god shuffled his feet But then as I got older and got through my teenage years and started to buy my own albums and as I went into the military and the internet became a thing in the uh, late 90s and 2000s, they had other albums that I found in, you know, their very first one, The Ghosts That Haunt Me, which obviously I'd heard before. Their next one after God Shelfed His Feet in A Worm's Life, which is incredible. After that, Give Yourself a Hand, which is incredible. They have a lot of fantastic albums that um, have just meant a lot to me in my life. That's what I'm doing tonight. I am speaking with Brad Roberts. How did this happen? I asked. Look, I am extremely proud of the product that we have created with Svend, Rachel Evil, and I. And I am so proud of it that I do believe that we have a great ability to help promote these musicians as best we can. We aren't that big yet, so I understand that we aren't helping as much as I'd like to, but it's something. Because I think to most Listeners, I think to most people out there in the world, the Crash Test Dummies are a one-hit wonder from the 90s singing the mm song. But you're so wrong. That song is brilliant. They are absolutely not a one-hit wonder. That album did incredibly because the entire album is incredible. The album before that, The Ghost That Haunt Me, which is an extremely folk album, has done incredibly well in Canada, which is where Brad is from, by the way, uh, Winnipeg. Their third album, In a Worm's Life, might be my favorite album of theirs. Their fourth album, Give Yourself a Hand, is a completely different change of style, and they keep doing that. They have an album that's completely country. They have an album that is a very pipe organ, dark Baroque mixed with country, mixed with uh, folk, Johnny Cash-ish style lyrics. It's They have a much bigger discography than a lot of people realize, and I think that they need to be as evil coined with Moontooth that I love. They need to be championed. They deserve to be out there. And I think some of you listeners, particularly the songwriters or the people in love with the songwriters, the Springsteens and the Cashins and the David Bowies, if you haven't given an honest shot to the Crash Test Dummies, do it. You will love them. 
you really will. So that's what I'm doing tonight. I'm talking to Brad Roberts. What am I drinking? So it's actually the day. It's not at night and it's a school day. So I've got to be good. I'm drinking coffee and that's it. I got to have my wits about me. Alcohol would do nothing to me right now anyway. I would pull a full Rachel. It would be completely sweating out of my pores. There is not going to be any alcohol content in my blood uh, until this interview's over. Probably not for a while after. I, I think a lot of listeners can understand and uh, respect how big of a deal this is to have somebody that really has, like I said, been uh, a large part of the soundtrack of my life to talk to that person that wrote these songs and uh, get to ask him a few questions. I want to ask him about the ongoing tour. They've been touring more for a couple years now. Uh, they hadn't for a while. They started back up. I'll ask him a little bit about that. They have a new single called The Sacred Alphabet. This is a band that has not come out with anything since 2010. They came out with Ooh La La, which is a really fun album. It's this kind of French bohemian sound to it, but also just very Crash Test Dummies at the same time. But they hadn't really come out with much after that. And now they have a new single, which is another, you might want to say, dark and brooding sort of single, but um, very poignant because his lyrics are always poignant. His lyrics are uh, some of the ultimate in philosophy that you'll hear. I got to see them last year. As some of you know, it was incredible. I'm going to ask him a couple questions about that. It's going to be a good time. And hopefully, if you haven't listened to the last episode that we did, the episode before this, Evil and I did a little bit of a Crash Test Dummies warm-up in the way that we did it. Essentially, I showed Evil two albums, two Crash Test Dummies albums. He has never been a Crash Test Dummies listener, just, you know, not on his radar. I gave him, obviously, their biggest album, In God Shuffled His Feet, their three times platinum album, In God Shuffled His Feet, that has been certified in many places. It reached number one in the New Zealand charts, actually, and it was just big around the entire world, thanks to one song, but just an incredible album. And I also gave him A Worm's Life, which is what I thought might be his favorite Crash Test Dummies album for specific reasons we went into. Go back and listen to that. It's a really good Crash Test Dummies warm-up. The interview was with Brad, but I'm a really big fan of the whole band. Ellen Reed is a fantastic band member. When we saw her in Portland, her energy and her charisma with the crowd was incredible. Very funny. Dan Roberts, Brad Roberts' brother, playing the bass for the band, and Mitch George playing the drums, uh, essentially been the same people uh, with a little bit of breaks since, you know, 1988. I think Mitch joined in 91, but the entire band is fantastic. So incredibly lucky that I get to talk to this gentleman. I think he's on like a two-day hiatus in between touring, so it's a very big deal that he agreed to do this. I'm sure he's uh, exhausted. We all know how touring is. But I'm interested to talk to him about that. I'm interested to talk about the new single and maybe, I don't know, is there something else on the horizon? Is is that single a precursor for something? Or did he uh, just want to release it to help with the tour this year? And did he just want to, you know, he had a song that he thought was great and he wanted it out there in the world. I feel that Brad can offer us such an interesting perspective, being that he started in the industry at a time where it was massive, at a time where CD sales were as big as you can be. And uh, he has kind of watched the music industry do what it does from the inside. I'm incredibly intrigued about that. We, you know, we talk about that stuff a lot here. And I think he will be able to give insight that not many others ever have been able to. After 70s, he was quite tired. So God said let there be a day just for picnics with wine and bread. So yeah, it's it's Gather a good day. The pod's going great. Of course the pod's going great. I'm about to interview Brad Roberts. The pod is obviously going great. We have some things in the works. Our Metallica uh, <laughs> reaction it was up on YouTube. Got a little blown up for that one, but hey. 
it is what it is. We knew that was going to happen. Uh, Metallica has a very, very passionate following. And we're excited for our next live review, which it's funny. We're actually normally a very positive group. So I would assume that it's going to be positive, and when it is, I look forward to the positive reactions that we get from that. We've got some other things in the works that are really exciting, continuing on with our our interview month, our two big, huge interviews. So after Brad Roberts, the next episode uh, next week is another little album dissection that's a little bit of a warm-up for our next interview. And then our episode after that is another big interview that uh, we are extremely excited for rachel did that one with me she was a little starstruck as you will be able to hear in that episode but it was great fun our interviews have always been so amazing we've been so lucky with the people we got in season one season two and this season so far and there are a couple more on the way too that we're just very lucky to be able to talk to these brilliant songwriters and musicians about their craft. It's not lost on us how great it is that they are willing to come in and discuss these things with us. For somebody like Brad, it's probably the 150th time he's done it. And uh, it's just, it's amazing that all these people end up being so humble and so ready and willing to talk to you about these things. And hopefully, it, like I said in the beginning, hopefully it really helps them out too. Even if it's to just get them a couple downloads on the new single, uh, get some tickets sold for their shows. When this comes out, they will have a show. They're going to take, I believe, June off. But then in July, they're playing in Ohio. They're playing in Tennessee. They're playing in Virginia. They're playing in Pennsylvania, Ohio. And then they're going up to Canada. And then they have a Christmas tour too. They're going to do a Christmas tour November through December. So watch out for that. But yeah, Fairfield, Ohio, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Knoxville, Charlottesville, Sellersville, State College, Pennsylvania, Cleveland. I've got, we've got people in Cleveland. We've got lots of people in Cleveland and actually Knoxville. Go watch them. You will love the show. It's fantastic. And that's really all I got before this. I'm actually going to uh, sign on to the Zoom. I'm going to get ready. And when I come back, I'm going to be talking to singer, songwriter, guitar player, Brad Roberts of the Crash Test Dummies. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll see you on the other side. Hi, Brad. How are you? I'm well. I can see you. Is this recording for visuals or just for the audio? It's audio. I might pull something for a promotion. Okay. I I only asked because I didn't shave in time. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't shave in time either, as you can see. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's a great background you have. (laughs) Brad Roberts, thank you so much for joining me. This this means a ton. I know that you're right in the middle of a tour, so I, I know how hectic that can be. So I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time to talk to us today. Oh, it's not a problem. Thank you for having me. So I want to start at probably the most important thing along with your tour is you have a brand new single out called Sacred Alphabet. A little bit of a, it's a very beautiful Western European romantic style almost. It's kind of a, a little bit darker and brooding. Is Did you just have that and wanted to come out with it? Is it to support the tour? Um, well, that's uh, kind of a big question. I'll try and answer the various layers. For one thing, um, just right off the bat, yes, I recorded that to facilitate touring, first and foremost. Um, there's not really a, any great financial reasons to release a single these days, yeah. unless you're one of a tiny handful of people that sell millions of records. Um, but it, it, it did help us in that we had been touring on the strength of anniversary so it would be like oh this is the anniversary of ghost of haunt me coming out oh this one's the anniversary of gosh all the speed coming out yeah. and you know you can only do so many anniversary 
tour before it starts to get kind of old. So I figured I better write some new material. <laughs> and uh, and as far as how it was, your other question about how the material came about, there's two things going on there. First of all, I, I wrote the lyrics first, and um, I wrote them a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact, and just couldn't seem to find the music for them. No melody did gently wake this giant, nor did his soul take the shape of song heard in his dreams, so making real what merely seems. Instead, an undivided howl, a random preternatural Um, and then when COVID happened, I decided that I would return to school, as it were, and um, I hired a couple of teachers, a piano teacher and a composition teacher, and I began wow. to learn to play Bach on the piano and, uh, well, and a number of other composers as well, but Bach is the one most important to me. Um, and I began to study what's called counterpoint, which is the method of writing melodies that's very old and yeah. which brought to new heights. And um, my studies of counterpoint led me to write that kind of, um, well, I wrote note for note, the piano part that you hear on that song. That's not someone interpreting a chart. That's, just, that's actually me writing down each note. It's a very complex progression on that song. Thank you. Yeah. It doesn't really have a, a verse and a chorus as it were. It, it kind of goes from section A to section B to section Z to section D, <laughs> which, which is sometimes called through composing in classical music. There is a little bit of repetition though in my song. So it, I, I can't, can't say that it's fully through composed, but it's a little bit like that. Were you, there are parts of it that reminds me a little bit of your album Songs of the Unforgiven, which came out, it came out a while ago, and it was a big departure from a lot of your other writings, which you've always been great at progressing your sound, but were you in a similar headspace there, or is it a very different feel? Um... I would say there's some similarity between the headspace that was going on on both recordings. The difference is that back then I didn't know anything about counterpoint and I wasn't writing the keyboard parts. They were being written by uh, Chris Brown, who is okay. a phenomenal keyboard player and, and who was the one that played keyboards on, on that record. But you're right. There is, there is a kind of uh, family resemblance there. And <laughs> We even put, you know, interludes and a prelude and a postlude and, yeah. and that kind of thing onto Songs of the Unforgiven. So there was these musical sections stitching it together. And yeah, it is reminiscent of what I did in Sacred Alphabet. You're right on the money there. I want to jump to more the beginning now of your career. One of the things that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is there are a couple things with the crash test dummies that you find in a lot of groups that end up having fantastic music. And one of those things is siblings are involved. So you've been working with your brother for a long time and Dan, who's a phenomenal bass player. What's it like to essentially have a career with your brother? Well, you know, I cho chose my brother to play bass for us. We had a bass player and he was going to quit. And my first choice was my own brother. So it, it's not <laughs> like we just, I got <laughs> rammed, you know, somehow shackled into working with him. It was a very conscious decision on my part. And um, we worked very well together. I, I pretty much let Dan do whatever he wants to do. I give him the song unadorned by bass and he comes up with the bass part. They're fantastic bass parts. They really are, you know. I think so, too. And what Dan does when he writes a bass part is the first thing he does, 
which I th think is is a brilliant stroke, is he learns the melody of the song on the bass. Okay. Of course, the bass is never going to play the melody of the song because it's there to support the melody. Yes. It's not there to beat the melody. But Dan writes these bass lines that, because he knows what the melody is already on the bass, they, they inevitably support what uh, is going on. So, I'm, the long and the short story is I'm very glad to be working with my siblings on bass guitar. I, yeah, it's fantastic. And it, one of the other things that we talk about on the podcast that leads to very tight music and really good composition and, and touring is when you see the same members stay on for the entire time. For the most part, you've had the same four core members the entire portion of your career. Yes. Yes, you are correct. And I feel very blessed that they all still want to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we all get along really well. It's a very happy circumstance. When you guys started, because you're such a unique sound with, with your voice mixed with Ellen's vocals and your, your brother's bass lines was this something that was in your head that almost like a Brian Wilson, it was already there and it came out or when you were a band, you realized, Oh, this is amazing and unique. Let's just go with this. You know, it was uh, much more fortuitous than it was planned. Um, in the first place, I didn't think my voice was suitable for singing songs and I went out of my way to find other people to sing them for me but I could never get anyone to sing them how I heard them. So I, <laughs> we defaulted to my voice. Um, and as far as I was concerned, we were just doing something that we had to do for lack of any other options. Not because I thought that I had a strength in singing. I didn't, you know, I mean, wow. I came out of the, I came out of the 1980s when I was writing that record. And that was the, the decade of screamer, metal bands, you know, yeah. the spandex and the hand. <laughs> and I couldn't think of anybody besides Johnny Cash and Nick Cave that sang down, uh, Leonard Cohen that sang down low. And, you know, Johnny Cash is about the only one that most people can name out of yeah. those three people. <laughs> so you... it, it didn't even occur to me that my voice could be, could be the one. And then as far as Alan and Dan going, goes you know Ellen is really the perfect foil to my deep voice I think my voice would probably be boring after a while without it, Ellen supporting it I'm quite serious um, and she's just got a gift for harmony that's unbelievable I mean it's an ability that she cultivated and worked at too so I don't want to take that away from her but it's a gift as well yeah, it's it's incredible to I actually got to see you in Portland last year Portland Oregon and actually, one of the things that was, uh, I'm sure, a highlight of the entire tour, but what you could feel was very palpable in the audience was you have on one year later albums, I think it came out in 2010, Ooh La La, you have a song called Heart of Stone that yeah. you do live, and it's incredible. It's just you, her, and a guitar, and you could tell the whole audience was very emotional from it, and... Uh, yeah, I think that speaks to how well you guys play together. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, we really kill him every night with that song. And I knew it was over then. I knew that I was through. You don't have to believe me. Still, I know it's true. And when you go, and I'm all alone, I wish I there's some and you know people they go from being rowdy to you can hear a pin drop when that when we do that song yes. i'm always in, amazed by how cooperative everyone is <laughs> speaking more to your specific 
type of music with the Crash Test Dummies. Were there a lot of challenges when you first started with, because your first album is basically a, a folk album. And while you, yes. God Shuffled His Feet is, is a lot more rock, but were there a lot of challenges trying to get that through the doors of, of labels and that sort of thing? No, you know, um, as far as our first record goes, uh, our demo tape, I, basically I was a bartender at that time and I, I wrote about five songs, four of which ended up on uh, our first record, including Superman song. And that, I mean, we, we got our record deal on the strength of our demo, which was pretty folky. So we mm-hmm. didn't, have, you know, try very hard to get that through the door. It was what got us in the door. And then with the second record, um, we didn't get resistance from the record label, but we did get resistance from the actual Canadian music industry. We didn't want to play. No, that never, I don't think that ever hit the charts on in Canada. Did it? It barely touched them. I think it got to 14 and then unceremoniously sank. And you know, all that, there was a very strong sort of anti-crashist sentiment when we put out our second record that started in my hometown with uh, wow. Morley Walker at the Winnipeg Free Press decided to uh, print this incredibly negative scathing review from some guy in the States. Like he just got it off the wire. He didn't even have his own writers write it, which I thought was kind of cowardly of him. But uh, in any case, um, that was followed by radio not wanting to play the song and, uh, and uh, much music not wanting to play the video. And, and then and the song exploded in America. Yeah. Just like Superman had in Canada. And all of a sudden, Canada wanted to play Crash Test Dummies desperately. But <laughs> I'm talking about, when I say Canada, I mean the Canadian music industry. I don't yes. mean Canada as in the yeah. fans. Because the fans have never been the problem. It's always been the music industry. <laughs> um, but then suddenly the music industry was desperate to play something by Crash Test Dummies other than mm because they had already flushed that down the toilet. <laughs> so... We actually went back to Canada and recorded another single that was never released in any other country, just so that Canada could have something to play that was That's... Crashest Dummies content. <laughs> well, and, and in the meantime, you have, so what is it like to, at one point in time on this earth, you had one of if not the most popular songs in the world it was charting in tons of different countries did that register with you did that change you at all it changed my life in terms of um you know like i was all of a sudden a household name and i was being recognized everywhere i went yeah um and that does do uh a number on you it's not a necessarily a good thing you you end up having to live this kind of insulated life where you've got a tour manager and people handling you and you get sort of shuffled from one place to the next and um you live kind of in a bubble and it's i don't think it's a really healthy thing necessarily looking back on it but i managed with the uniqueness of your sound and even with your radio hit was nothing like anybody had ever heard did you always have complete artistic freedom or did you ever have issues with labels? Uh, I'll tell you when the issues with labels began. We put out our first record. It did extremely well. Mm-hmm. We put out our second record. It did extremely well. Um, when we put out our third record, it didn't do extremely well. So when we put out our fourth record, the label was all over me. And suddenly oh. they wanted to micromanage me because they thought, oh, well, you know, the last one wasn't a hit. 
so we we have to prevent that from happening somehow. So the label started to make what I considered to be unreasonable requests about the music, and that's mm. when the relationship went south. So did you have? So are you referring to give yourself a hand? Yes, that was our last major label release. It's it, so. And, um, I ended up putting out the record that I wanted to put out in terms of Give Yourself a Hand. I'm very proud of that record. And it sounds n- nothing like our other records. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that was, um, the, the label were very happy with it as well. They were quite surprised when uh, people and other things didn't turn into a hit. Put Whitey in the White House. You did, baby. You did, baby. It's so that's a fantastic song. You know, you have one of the things that I love about your lyrics is songs like Keep a Lid on Things or uh, He Liked to Feel It or even the Mm-mm-mm song. There, there is a message there and there is a point, but you, you've never been at all preachy or judgmental or. It, it's more of a philosophical, you just seem like the type of person that questions everything. And I love that you are able to seemingly have these messages, but it just never comes out as a, you should be doing this kind of thing. Well, I must thank you for that because that's exactly what I was aiming for. I wanted to try to, you know, talk about serious things, but without being serious about it, <laughs> yeah. you know? because otherwise it just becomes heavy-handed. So I'm very pleased to hear that that's how you hear it. It reminds me, I've heard you in other interviews talk about XTC being an influence. And Mm -hmm. that, it reminds me of them a lot. Along with them, are there? You also mentioned Leonard Cohen. I'd imagine that the those sort of songwriters, like you know, Bruce Coburn. What other major influences besides XTC would you say that you had? Well, um, Johnny Cash was definitely a big one. Um, it's funny when you talk about influences. On the one hand, uh, I consider myself very influenced by a whole bunch of music that doesn't necessarily sound a lot like the music that I make, you know? So you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, well, he listened to Mary Poppins' soundtrack, and, <laughs> and of course he wrote Superman song. Um, but the Mary Poppins soundtrack, in fact, is one of my fondest early memories of music. My mom used to sing the songs from that record to me and my little brother when we were little boys. That's and, great. And... Um, those are some of my earliest musical memories. Yeah, Julie Andrews is amazing. Yes. <laughs> I talked to you about Heart of Stone, which is it's a later in your career album, and it's a later track on the album. The show that I went and saw you at, you played a lot of the God Shuffled His Feet because it was a anniversary. The shows that you're doing now... Are you playing a lot of the similar songs? Are you playing a lot of stuff from Ghosts That Haunt Me and God Shuffled His Feet? Um, You know, I do stress the Ghosts That Haunt Me and God Shuffled His Feet on the set list, but not not to the same extent that you saw it. Um, We've tried to change up the set list so that we're not doing the same show all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not... I don't think a crowd wants to go out and see see exactly the same thing they saw the last time. So I'm always changing the set list for that reason. And um, we do do uh, tracks that are from quite a bit later on in in the sequence of records that we made. Well, I'd imagine it gets hard for you at times too, singing the mm -mm -mm song for the 700th time. I mean, there's got to be a little bit of, are there any specific B-sides or later in career songs that you really just love performing right now? Uh, 
you know, I uh, like all the music that I've written. Otherwise, I wouldn't have put it out. So <laughs> I don't know that I have a favorite. Heart of Stone is certainly right up there, though, the one you already mentioned. But, and, um, you know, the other one that really moves the crowd in that direction is um, Sacred Alphabet, which is the song that I wrote fairly recently. Mm -hmm. It's also, like Heart of Stone, a very uh, scaled back production. There's no drums, there's no bass, it's just piano and cello and some backup vocals. It's a fantastic song, and I'm sure that it's one of those tracks that's really fun to play and see the reaction of. It really is. It's very dramatic. One of the albums that came out, it's a track list of songs that didn't make albums for recording. That album is incredible. There are incredible songs on that. What it was it was that just a period in your life where you were just pouring out because the fact that those songs didn't make it to an album back then is kind of mind-boggling they were all rejected by bmg those songs are so good they really are thank you very much i really appreciate that sometimes i wonder if i should have put that record out because it is just you know made in made in my bedroom basically not, (laughs) not recorded with very sophisticated equipment at all so it's it sounds a little uh bush league but thank you for your kind words i like that i think there's a rawness to it to a lot of the songs on that album that's very good you are correct perhaps you Since you've been in the music industry for such a long time, and you did touch on this already, you have kind of had a a front row seat to, unfortunately, kind of the implosion of the music industry. Yes. The first question that I'd want to ask you is, at this point in time, to our listeners that are fans and the people that want to support the Crash Test Dummies, what is the easiest way that they can do that at this point in time, the way that the music industry is? Um, come to our shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the my, my income, if we want to be crass about it, uh, is twofold. One, I tour with my band and we make income that way. And two, I make royalties from the songs that we've had that have been popular. Mm-hmm. And I still get royalties for those songs. So I've got, you know, it's fairly steady, not large, but steady income stream from that. You went from a point in time where, where it was possible to be a band starting up and making money just being a band to kind of watching the music industry, unfortunately, really come crashing down. Yes. Well, and you know, the the timing for me was particularly acute in that um, when I got off of BMG records off the major label, I decided that I would put out a record on my own. And just before I did that, Napster came onto the scene. Oh, and it was like all of a sudden, CD music business just died. Boom. Yeah, and so the business model that I'd been working with just wasn't really applicable anymore. And it yeah, made it really which is why I stopped making records. Eventually, it became too expensive. Was that the the I don't care that you don't mind that you're talking about? Um. No, I mean that by the time I got to the last record that we made, which would have been Ooh La La, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that I could no longer afford to make records because yeah. they were making enough money back. Do you think that since I think there's... I I'm a crappy businessman. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just you said it the best towards the beginning of this episode. It's gotten to where, 
a handful of people can succeed in this industry and everyone else is kind of screwed. Yeah, there just are so many songs going up every day on the internet. It's unbelievable. Do you think that with the, it seems like the massive resurgence of vinyl, and it seems like it's actually here to stay this time. Do you think that that's going to help out bands like yourself? Um, well, it already is in so far as when we tour, um, we sell a lot of vinyl at our merchandise booth, a lot mm-hmm. more than we do CDs. If, if we weren't selling vinyl, we would be not making nearly as much money at our merchandise booth, I'll tell you that. So we already feel the effects of it. Who knows? Maybe it'll keep improving, right? Yes. <laughs> You'll have to excuse me. I'm just pouring myself a glass of water because I'm parched. A couple more questions and I'll, I'll let you go. As far as your writing process has changed, obviously as people grow older, they think differently. They want to structure things differently. It does seem like your writing has always stayed extremely philosophical, but it has, it has changed. Is that just your personality grows, your lyrics are going to change? Yes. And my interests shift. I don't really want to make the same kind of record over and over again because it just doesn't seem very exciting. Yes, I, I agree. And, it, and it, your albums are so different from each other. You have folk and, and rock and funk and country. And it's, it's refreshing at how many different things you've tried in your career. Thanks. Thank you. touch your hip. See you bite your lip I miss it When you get to moving on When I trip On them girl-ass straps It'll be just like For any other one Do you find that people Come to you About their perspectives On your songs Do you like to leave your lyrics open for interpretation or do you enjoy the philosophy of what you think people are going to think your songs are about well i do leave them open for interpretation i try and write lyrics that are open-ended enough that there's room for interpretation so um so um for a while there, after the shows, we were signing autographs on our merchandise, and um, people <laughs> definitely want to tell me a story whenever they get a record signed, and everybody has a story, and some of them are, you know, I don't remember them all, and some <laughs> of them are extremely memorable, and mm-hmm. uh, the way these songs have interacted with people's lives uh, astounds me. There's this one guy who uh, was working in a mine and the mine shaft caved in and he ended up getting covered in rocks and had both of his legs broken. And he was laying there in this cave that had nothing but a tiny little point of light coming through, letting him know that he had some air and some time left but wasn't sure how much and um he spent 18 hours singing superman song to himself over and over and over again and um it said it got him through the experience until he was pulled out and then he was indeed pulled out superman never made any money Yes, so that really blew me away. And there's been a few stories like that, you know, where people have related to the songs on levels that I can't even imagine. That's, that'd be a lot to take in. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah, <laughs> it really was. I got the story secondhand, and I was kind of glad I didn't have to hear it firsthand because I don't know how I'd react. That that would have been pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You're, I think you're in New York currently. You're about to do some New York shows. Um, about to do some uh, Canadian shows, actually. Oh, perfect. But I'm I'm in New York City because that's where I live, not because that's where we're gigging. But you're touring most. You're touring most of May, most of July, and then some August dates and a Christmas tour this year, right? Yes. Christmas tour should be quite fun. We have a an entire Christmas record to ch- choose mm-hmm. Christmas songs, and we did some really uh, crazy interpretations of the Christmas carols too. Like we put jingle bells into a minor key. <laughs> Sounds like a Russian <laughs> slave song now. Hey, <laughs> jingle bells, <laughs> and um, we did White Christmas, which I did with full. Full irony and schmooze. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that, that I think that'll be a fun tour. That's perfect. I think that's really all I have for you, Brad. I was going to ask you what your favorite album was growing up, but you already talked about Mary Poppins. And I think that's pretty much perfect right there. I'm just, I'm really, really appreciative of you taking the time. Uh, I want to say again how good it was to see you live last year. So any listeners, go watch them. Just a fantastic live show. And Brad, thank you so much for taking your time uh, today to talk to me. No problem. Uh, that's good questions. Absolutely. Just don't feed me with no tube. I change my daddy diaper. If I'm back in mommy's boob. Snipers and just shoot me, baby. Stuff me in the crack, stuff me in the toilet, sweetie. Put me in the trash, but be next to me. Brad Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I don't have that much left for you after that. That is an experience that I will forever be grateful for. I went off enough about it at the beginning. Uh, Seemed to be a a perfect amount of time to get some really great questions from him. I I could have kept him on forever, but a group that tours to make a living, two days off and he's talking to us. Just extremely grateful. Our interviews this year, fantastic. By the time this comes out, Moontooth and Nick Lee will have played their first gig since he's been back. It's just, it's been a good year. That concludes our Crash Test Dummies coverage for now. I'm sure that there will be more to come. We still do our year dissections where I will talk about some more albums and we really haven't touched much on their very first album which uh was a huge deal particularly in canada and hey maybe someday i can get ellen reed on as well because she's fantastic you also learned in the last episode that evil and i did that uh, we are (laughs) huge fans of dan and think he's a pretty underrated bass player holy crap he's good if you get a chance to go see him go see him hope you enjoyed i sure as hell did Crash Systemies and your team, thank you so much. Good luck on your tour. I really do hope that the uh, vinyl resurgence helps you sell a bunch of records. I got to buy a signed copy of Ghosts That Haunt Me when I went and saw them live. It feels good to be able to support. As a failed musician, it just feels good to be able to support the ones that are still trying. <laughs> Obviously, when Crash Systemies they have succeeded. And if you go to one of their shows and you see everybody singing along and loving it and, you know, eating, drinking, being merry, it's just a good time. Go check them out. Versecoursefirst.com at versecoursefirstpod. Everybody, thank you for listening. If it wasn't for you, there'd be no point to this. These would not be able to happen. I am mostly grateful to you all. And hopefully we express that enough. 
and in the future we have some ideas to be able to express it even further foreshadowing so keep listening stay tuned if you're just here for the crash test dummies i hope you enjoyed i hope you listen to some other episodes we talk about everything rock to country to rap so just go through our our little discog there and anything that you know reaches out and grabs you go listen to we try hard we have fun we hope you do too take care of yourselves everybody be kind and words to myself just as much as to you all being inquisitive without uh, being judgmental boy that sounds really nice Uh, i should try to do that a little more i think we all should thank you to the crash test dummies good night good luck Dog, but just to see what's set, who is that?